Support our programming at patreon.com slash rebelforceradio. Become a patron, and your contributions can help unlock bonus shows from RFR, online hangouts with the Rebel Force Radio crew, and more. Say it loud and say it proud. Support Rebel Force Radio. Click on the Patreon banner at rebelforceradio.com or visit patreon.com slash rebelforceradio. Rebel Force Radio is brought to you in part by Little Debbie Snacks, bakers of all galactic goodness, like mini donuts, star crunch, cosmic cupcakes, cosmic brownies, nutty bars, and much more. Little Debbie, official snack of Rebel Force Radio and fans around the galaxy. From Tops comes the all-new digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. For the first time ever, collect and trade everything from legendary 1977 Star Wars cards to new cards featuring exclusive content from Star Wars Episode 7: The Force Awakens, all from the comfort of your mobile device. Star Wars Card Trader. These are the cards you're looking for. Rebel Force Radio presents... This is Master Obi-Wan Kenobi. I regret to report that both our Jedi Order and the Republic have fallen. This is Star Wars Rebels Declassified. I like the sound of that. A roundtable discussion about Star Wars Rebels. Pretty gutsy move, kid. I am the Inquisitor. Or Boston. Chopper, get us out of here. Now it's time for Star Wars Rebels Declassified. All right, yeah, we are here to talk about the latest episode of Star Wars Rebels, Darklighter. Right? No, no, everywhere I go, everyone's, it's like, it's the strangest thing where there's so much talk about what they were going to do. Oh, we were going to do it about Biggs. It was going to be amazing. We we're going to call the episode Dark Lighter. It was going to tie into Luke Skywalker. Gonna... Yeah, but we couldn't figure out how to do it. Yeah, <laughs> they, we, yeah the timeline didn't work out. But it was going to be amazing. I was we going to we could have done it. <laughs> so we went with Wedge. And isn't that just the story of Wedge's life? You know, Wedge, also known as not Biggs uh, <laughs> or, or anybody else. Uh, but anyway, of course, uh, great to have you with us here on uh, Rebel Force Radio, uh, Star Wars Rebels Declassified. And we are. We're bringing down uh, the latest episode of Star Wars Rebels, The Antilles Extraction, uh, which actually is a very, very cool name. I love the name of the episode. This is, uh, for those of you listening to it in the, this show, Into the Future, this original air date for this episode was October 8th, 2016. And this is the... Uh, now, see, this is interesting. It says episode two of season three. Is this isn't where does it say that? I'm on Wikipedia, and you know, if I, you read it online, it's true, right? Well, see, okay, there's some confusion here. Uh huh. Hey. Uh huh. Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars. Oh, well, I haven't. I haven't gotten there. I haven't gotten there. But, but, there but, is, but since I'm throwing out the questions, I guess we've started the show. <laughs> but um, there is there's a question about that because. The first episode of the season uh-huh. was actually a two-parter. Right. So it's considered episodes one and two of season three. Right. Last week's episode was three, and then this week's The Antilles Extraction is episode four mm-hmm. of season 
So, but I mean, it is confusing because they give you that double feature and they uh, call that, you know, the one, two punch. The reason I do know this and can confirm this, I don't know if it states this information on starwars.com. I haven't looked specifically for it, but in my emails back and forth, with Lucasfilm and when they send me media stuff and you know, assets to use, they uh, label each episode. And with this episode, it is clearly labeled episode four of season three. Well, isn't that interesting? Uh, because apparently what they're doing on Wikipedia is they're not even counting the first two episodes, which were the, the, the uh, movie of the week. Uh, and in the past, those first two episodes have received their own uh, home video release their own iTunes releases mm-hmm. um, or you know the, the, the 40 minute whatever uh, opener of, of each season but in this case right. so yeah so th- th- it says here Antilles Extraction is the second episode of the animated television series so if well uh, Wikipedia is wrong is wrong now this is episode 4 yes the Antilles Extraction um, directed by Saul 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 Ruiz and written by Yes. You ready for this? Go. Gary Witta. Yes. Yay. So we finally yes, I found uh I was I was watching an old SpongeBob episode and had this song about where's Gary and I yeah, where is Gary Witta? I wanted to know because he's he's not working on Rogue One and uh so apparently um he contributed to uh Star Wars Rebels season three, and now it sounds as though like maybe perhaps uh, he's going to be doing some more work for season three because uh, yeah, they're he will about be him joining the, the 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 team, the writing team for season three. Yeah, he definitely will be uh, writing more Star Wars stories for Rebels. With Rogue One, Gary did pen the original screenplay, but. In that time, there's also been uh, a few other writers who've come in and punched up the script, so much so on Rogue One that Gary is not credited as a writer anymore. He's now uh, with John Knoll being credited as Story By. Story By. So I don't know how much of Gary Witta's original Rogue One script actually is going to make it to the screen, but he definitely penned this entire episode. And uh, I thought he did a really good job at it, too. Well, I thought that um, his claim to fame, I thought that when he w- was off the project, off the Rogue One project, didn't he tweet that he still uh, came up? He came up with the name of the film, right? Yes, he, he, did. he is taking One. credit for the, the name of the film. No question about that. Yeah. yeah. So I guess we should introduce the roundtable. We Why should not? do that while we uh, get into things. Um, of course, first, joining me, as always, my good friend and yours from Chicago, Jimmy Mack. Mm-hmm. Hey, Jason, hey, Star Wars fans, take two. Uh, you know, the Antilles extraction, uh, it, it sounds more like a sort of medical procedure you'd have to, like maybe you'd sit down in the dentist chair and he would extract your Antilles. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, the title definitely uh, syncs up very well with uh, the content within the episode itself. So the Antilles extraction, uh, really uh, interesting episode for Star Wars Rebels. Can't wait to get down and dirty and talk about this episode with you guys on the roundtable. And you guys, that would be me and our pal. You just didn't hear enough from him last week. So we decided <laughs> we decided we have to have him back and, and no because, one else. And also, also because Spencer couldn't make it. Well, right. Yeah. <laughs> I, think Spencer's on, I think Spencer's on vacation. But, the disrespect. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, so uh, please join me in welcoming, not Spencer, uh, Tyler the Intern. Tyler the Hey. Yes. The replacement. There he goes. The slow clap. God. A round of applause. Yeah. Uh, Tyler, the quote-unquote intern. Right. Well, you know, everybody has to have a a title except Snoke, right? We were talking uh, before we started the program. He has a title. We went over this. Yeah. He is wise. <laughs> Jason's favorite line from the film. <laughs> Once again, Kylo Ren, do it. He is wise. Wow, that's pretty good. That really puts you right back in. Doesn't it? Doesn't yeah, it? I feel like I know. I'm watching the movie. I know. I know. Well, hey, Lucasfilm, I'm available. <laughs> uh, <laughs> They're going to recast Adam Driver with you for with one me. line. Can you imagine? Can you oh, yeah, imagine okay. how disappointed people would be? They show up. They're so excited to see the follow up. I don't All know. of a sudden, I look like Rick Moranis from Spaceballs walking around in that. <laughs> I bet a lot of people would walk out of the theater and go, wow, Kylo's a real badass now. <laughs> I bet a lot of people just walk out of the theater, period. That's right. That's right. Because that'd be my only line. All right, let's talk about the Antilles extraction. Um, the uh, Obviously, this was one of the things that all of us that saw the, the the trailer before the season began, you know, the two big things that jumped out at us were, uh, I, I should say three big things. We know that D- Darth Maul was going to come back. We were going to get introduced to Thrawn, and we were going to finally meet Wedge Antilles. So there was a lot of excitement for this. Uh, little did we know that we were going to meet Hobby. Right? Isn't that... That's a, that's a little bit uh, like the... Uh, he is wise, but that's the only time you ever hear Hobby's name. Jesus. Right? Hobby. Is, is, is Luke. Doesn't Luke yell, Hobby? Yeah, yeah. 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 Hobby. Uh, and, and, you know, Hobby is... He's uh, Wedge's uh, a gunner in the Battle of Hoth. Yeah. So they, they've stuck together, you know, through good times and bad times. Yeah, but it, but he, he bites it, doesn't he? Hobby? Yeah. No. No, nah, Wedge, he's, he's no, 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 no. Wedge, you're thinking of Dak. Oh, yeah, Dak. So Hobby survives. We don't see him in Return of the Jedi. What happens to him? Uh, I'll tell you what. I'm looking at his Wikipedia and the Legends, and 1.5 is the Battle of Hoth, and it goes to 1.24. So apparently Hobby has a rich history that none oh, of us are man. aware of. <laughs> There's a lot to know about Hobby. He's, he's, our, uh, he's our ginger friend, right? Sure. Is it, he, he's, he's the Is ginger he rebel. Here? Yeah, he's the ginger yeah. rebel. You can tell. He's, yeah. You can see, well, you the see guy the who's, in the movie, he's definitely a ginger. Well, the guy who's sitting on top of the, uh, the Star Wars ginger mountain these days is definitely Donald Gleason. Is uh, Hux. Yeah. He's, uh, to me, he's the most dominant of all Star Wars redheads. Yes. He, well, for sure he is. For sure he is. And very subtle, too. Very, very subtle. subtle. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> you got to listen closely. And right. He doesn't. Yeah. He's very soft spoken. Uh, but oh, I, so what, let's talk about Wedge here real quick. So we're introduced to Wedge. And I have to say the first thing that jumped out at me was the fact that Wedge feels very young. He does I, feel young. Yeah. yeah. Almost teenager like almost, almost teenager like. So you, you got to figure we meet Wedge. Uh, I guess we could look at, does it really matter what the age of the actor was? Does it really matter um, what, how old Dennis Lawson was at the time of A New Hope? But um, Actors, actors. There were two actors to play Wedge in A New Hope. The actor who sits next to Luke during the Death Star briefing that General Dodonna is giving and says, 
that target's impossible, even for computers. That is not Dennis Lawson, but that character in the script is identified as Wedge. So we in have two actors. It is. In yes, but it, it and I'm I'm pretty sure that that has remained canon to this day. That that character talking to Luke in the briefing room is supposed to be considered Wedge. He's no, he's it, Wedge. Uh, that is Wedge. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a really great StarWars.com thing from a few years ago. I think I think Pablo Hidalgo might have written it. It's like hunting for the fake Wedge or something along those lines, like trying to figure out who he was and how that happened. Yes, he's been known as Fake Wedge. And uh, I'm sure we, I'm sure we like fake shemp. Yes. Fake shemp. Is there a fake shemp? There, there is a, you don't know about fake shemp. I don't know about fake shemp. Well, there were some stewed shorts that were in production. If we're going to continue, you got to quit saying, Oh God, about everything we're talking about. Okay. (laughs) Or I'm going to reach through the Skype and I'm going to strangle you. (laughs) No fake shemp is uh, what they did is they had some stewed shorts that were in production when the real Shemp Howard died. And so they had to finish up these episodes, and so they cast an actor who, from the back, looked fake like Shemp. And so fake, <laughs> Shemp. fake Shemp. Yeah, This is like when Tony Soprano's ma died, and, and they had to reshoot those scenes with stand-ins. It was creepy and weird. Yeah, yeah. and in fact, in fact, there is a uh, definition of this. A fake shemp is the term for someone who appears in a film under heavy makeup, filmed from the back, or perhaps only showing an arm or a foot. So it uh, refers to the, uh, you know, after shemp died. So uh, fake wedge. Fake wedge, who was played by Colin Higgins in the uh, Rebel Briefing Room sequence. All right. That's wedge number one. Okay. And to me, his depiction of wedge is a little more consistent with what we get from this episode of Star Wars Rebels as opposed to Dennis Lawson's. But Dennis Lawson is the one who yells, Wow, look at the size of that thing! So <laughs> in that in that respect, in that respect, that sort of, you know, blurting out, that's kind of an immature thing to do too if you are a pilot in a wartime situation like that, but he just couldn't contain himself. All right, I'm, I'm looking at this right now. There is a story on StarWars.com back from 2013 uh, because Colin Higgins, uh, the fake wedge, passed away. And so this was a little memorial that was, that was placed. Um, I have never, in all the times I have watched A New Hope, I have never considered this guy wedge, and I never will. This is not wedge. He's I don't care wedge. what the script says. It's not Wedge. Wedge is played by Dennis Lawson, who, by the way, was 29 during the filming of A New Hope. Uh, but, Jim, uh, you know, in looking at this, yes, the, the, the model that they've used for Wedge on Rebels does seem to line up more to the Colin Higgins version than uh, what we see with Dennis Lawson. But nonetheless, nonetheless, Tyler... Does Wedge seem a little young for you in this episode? Um, not really. I mean, I think Wedge is only supposed to be like 21 or 22 in A New Hope. And I think we're, are we two or three years out from A New Hope at this point in Rebels? I, I believe I it's two years. Mm-hmm. And someone on Twitter said, where did you get that information? Everyone wants to know a source all the time. It drives me nuts. But um, I, you know what? what's funny is like, I thought to myself, well, where did I get this information from? So I went back and rewatched some episodes of Rebels Recon, hoping that Filoni or 
Gilroy, someone would say something about the timeline, but I cannot find that source. But I don't doubt it at the same time. I know it's something that I heard. I just can't cite the exact source. And by the way that this show has been progressing, now that we're in season three, considering season one, the action was taking place five years prior to the events of the original Star Wars, then it almost makes all the sense in the world that I would consider us right now more than halfway through the story of Rebels. So to say we're about two years out, that does kind of sync up, I think. Mm -hmm. I think that we've seen at least two and a half years of, of history with the characters of the Ghost. I think two and a half years on the timeline is a fair thing to say. Then on top of that, we know it's been a six-month cushion between the season finale of season two and the season premiere of season right. three. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So so there, I mean, so I think we can safely say that we are two, perhaps two and a half years out. But I did hear this two well, years well, from an official source. I yeah, did hear and, and Wikipedia is claiming that, that uh, season three is two years prior to the Battle of Yavin. So they heard it apparently too. Good. Uh, of course they also think that this is episode two. Of oh, season dang. But, you know, so there <laughs> goes their credibility. Right. Right out, right the, out window. the window. Uh, but, yeah, boy, you owe me a Coke, by the way. Um, we're reading each, we are reading each other's minds tonight, Jimmy Mack. Um, so anyway, yeah, so the Wedge character, um, you know, for me, just seemed a little bit young. The voice was young. The voice actor that they got is, uh, you know, is is very clearly someone in his. Nathan uh, Cress from iCarly. No, oh. which one is he? I, I watched he, iCarly. Oh, all right. He's a, he's, he played Freddy in iCarly. And I think, I think the Wedge character looks a lot more like Nathan Crest than it does uh, Dennis Lawson. Now, wait, wait. Re- refresh my memory. Was Freddy the friend of the girls who was with the video camera and stuff? Yeah. <laughs> That's, that sounds creepy, but um, yeah, <laughs> so if the you video, watch iCarly, you'd get it. And I believe at the end of iCarly, he started dating Sam, who was uh, the mean one. I don't yeah, know. She was really She mean. was sort of the tomboy. Yeah, know. yeah. By the reference. by, the way, my uh, my reference to uh, the Three Stooges got a groan from Tyler, and here he is talking all about iCarly. <laughs> What's next? That's so Raven. <laughs> I mean, everybody said, "Hey, I'm not going to tolerate that's so Raven slander." That's a great <laughs> show. Who's, who's slamming that show? I spent about three years on a treadmill watching uh, that's so Raven. So don't you dare, don't you dare all assume right, anything. All right, let's 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 let's, let's dial it that's back. Raven declassified. Let's go. Let's, yeah, let's, let's talk about more talk mature about things like Wars. Star Wars Rebels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, okay. So we, we, like I did say in the in the opening, um, in all you know, all kidding aside, you know this is it's a very interesting thing because when you when you talk to Dave, uh, or you know you you hear from the 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 creative team on this show, they're very reluctant to really say much of anything about what you might see. Uh, they don't want to name certain characters because they don't want to set you up for disappointment. They don't want to talk about, oh, this character is going to show up this year uh, because you might think that they're going to have a much bigger role, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I just found it very interesting that in several locations and all over StarWars.com and in the uh, Rebels Recon and everywhere else is the talk about this episode, how it was going to be titled Dark Lighter, and it was going to be about the defection of Biggs. Um, but it, it says that timeline complications with Biggs established a new hope backstory meant that Wedge was a better candidate. So uh, it, it, I'm, I'm going to go out and say that I think that there's something else planned 
for bigs uh, at some point, whether it be a comic book, whether it be uh, perhaps uh, uh, there's something down the line that they want to tell this big story. Or else you know, they're absolutely done. right. They're absolutely right about the timeline thing. Because if you do consider this episode taking place two years prior to A New Hope, it is completely shot down in the dialogue that Luke has with Owen during dinner when he's, he reveals that Biggs has only been gone a year. That's what you said when Biggs and Tank left. I mean, isn't it? Well, but how, where do you get the fact that they've been gone a year? It's a whole nother year. I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Does he say that's what you said last year when Biggs and Tank left? Does he line? say that's what you said last year when Biggs and Tank? No, left? he Doesn't does not he? say that's what you said last year. But he does say that's what you said when Biggs and Tank left. And Tank left. Yeah. Well, the, uh, I thought he said. But, yeah, but, but you're, you, you are thinking year. of the next line, which he says, "But it's a whole other year." Look, it's only one season more. No, he does say that's what you said when Biggs and Tank left. Period. But at whatever, any rate, you know, whatever happened, old tank. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always picture him, you know, like a big guy, like a football player, you know, like a giant stormtrooper. Like if you had a linebacker of a stormtrooper, yeah, that would be did tank. Did tank defect? But this whole notion of defection is 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 quite interesting. So you've got these guys that um, so Fulcrum uh, is back, right? We've got and we've got a new Fulcrum, and we find out that Fulcrum is a is a title. And that there are multiple fulcrums. So, you know, I think for a long time we assumed, uh, Tyler, that there was only one fulcrum, and that was Ahsoka. And not only is there a replacement, uh, or should we even assume that this is a replacement, that this is a new fulcrum, or is this just one of the many fulcrums that are out there? What I do you assume think? that it's a new one, but I don't really think it's a replacement. Of it. Sounds Should, like it's just a, a code name that Ahsoka came up with and they decided to bestow it on anybody that gives insider information. But I don't think this fulcrum is saying like, well, Ahsoka's gone. I got to fill the void. Well, should I we, didn't get that impression. Should we mention why? I, I think that you and I and I don't, I don't know about you, Jim, but I but certainly Tyler and I are sort of uh, of the belief that we know who fulcrum is. And that leads us to believe that this is a new fulcrum. And I don't think they ever they, they identify uh, this particular source as you know being new to the cause. No, no. I, don't think it, I don't think it's mentioned. But no, no, I mean, no, it's no, pretty no, clear no, who it is. Yeah, well, well we think so, but but down. is let's, it is it clear? Well, let's 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 get <laughs> into it. Twist. Um, yeah, you'd have to assume that this fulcrum had been in place for a while, and. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of uh, internet speculation. I mean, this this seems to be a very loosely kept secret, but let's let's go to the tape. All let's right, let's do it. I took Fulcrum audio into the Rebel Force Radio Sound Lab and played a little bit with the pitch control. And um, first of all, uh, what did I give you first, Jason? I gave you the actual Fulcrum dialogue. Actually, as you didn't give it. me any of that. You gave me. It's not ABC. in the Fulcrum. <laughs> Oh, no kidding. So the, the audio didn't come through here. Let me just send it to you right now. Okay. Was in a oh, wait a minute. Rest. Here it is. I see him. I got him. All right. Okay, great. All right. Great. Okay, cool. Hold on. Let me. Uh, Tyler, do you have an oh, God, you need to get out of your system before we start back up again? Save get, it. Get them all out now. No, I can't. I'm busy reading about the That's So Raven series finale. <laughs> all right. The okay. speculation. Now, Jim, I yes. need to remind listeners that it was Rebel Force Radio. 
that was the first, I believe, to accurately identify who the first fulcrum was. We identified it as Ashley Eckstein, and then it was later confirmed by some German website um, that was, uh, it was sort of, wasn't it like the, the Swedish or something IMDB equivalent where we <laughs> yes, found so. we, right, we, we right. found a credit for uh, Ashley on... Uh, no, it was actually, it was actually for... The German voice artist That's who was, was portraying, right. yes, and it, it said, it, and as her character, it said Ahsoka slash Fulcrum. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. So anyway, but um, the the way we sort of uh, figured this out the first time is we did take some of this audio, or you rather did, down to the RFR Sound Lab, and we're doing the same now with the new Fulcrum. Yes. So the first clip here we have is uh, Fulcrum's communication with the crew of the Ghost as we hear it in the Antilles Extraction. I have information that may help you replace your stable of pilots. There are Imperial cadets at the Sky Strike Academy who wish to defect to the Rebels. I do not know their names, but they will require some assistance to escape. I suggest you move quickly before the Empire discovers their intentions. Fulcrum out. Fulcrum out. Yeah, it's, it's clearly Hondo. So, <laughs> hello, this is a Fulcrum. <laughs> so you'll find, though, when I pitched it up a few steps, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, you, you start because obviously that recording has been pitched down mm-hmm. and they added a lot of um, electronic interference in there to mm-hmm. sort of uh, replicate distortion. A, a, yeah, distortion, distorted sound. Uh, so, um it's hard, it hard to operate around that stuff, but at the very least, what I could do was pitch it up a few steps, and I think you start to hear the voice of David Oyelowo, who is the voice of Agent Callis on Star Wars Rebels. I have information that may help you replace your stable of pilots. Hmm. There are Imperial cadets at the Sky Strike Academy who wish to defect to the Rebels. I do not know their names, but they will require some assistance to escape. I suggest you move quickly before the Empire discovers their intentions. Fulcrum out. Mm, All right. Sure that sounds suspiciously like, yeah. like Agent Callis, but uh-huh. just to make sure, let's uh, take examples of the two voices. Fulcrum pitched up, and we'll put it right next to Agent Callis, audio taken from the very same episode, recorded by actor David Oyelowo, and uh, see how they compare, see how they match up. There are Imperial cadets at the Sky Strike Academy who wish to defect to the Rebels. ISB has information that some of your cadets are planning to defect to the Rebels. Oh, now, you know, yeah. I, I, I hear it. Oh, yeah. It's not carbon copy stuff going on right there. But I definitely, definitely hear it. David obviously delivered those lines as Fulcrum with a little more monotone, mm-hmm. a little more of a choppier delivery mm-hmm. than he would normally do as if he was just acting straight up as callous. Yeah. And that was done, you know, deliberately to to try to mask his identity a little bit. The The efforts to mask his identity aren't as great, I think, as what they did to mask Ashley slash Ahsoka as the fulcrum, mm-hmm. um, which I thought they did a well job with that one. I thought they did a really uh, good job with that one. But this one, it seems like they're just, you know, well, everyone will know. <laughs> so <laughs> that's just the opinion I get. I don't think it's a mystery at all, ladies and gentlemen. I, I'm, yeah. I'm calling it right now. Um, Callus is the fulcrum. Yeah. And, and what's interesting about that is that 
you know, as I'm watching the episode, and, and, and we started speculating about this the first time we, we actually saw, I think it was the first trailer, we heard the voice of a new fulcrum. Uh, and we started thinking it was it was callous. And there was the episode from last season where he and Zeb were marooned on the planet together and they ended up having to work together to um, to save themselves. And there was you could tell that there was sort of a bond that that may have been created. And, um, you know, at the end of that episode, you see how the go- the crew of the ghost, you know, very much like a family welcomed Zeb back and they were so grateful to have him back. And, you know, when Callus got back to, to his ship, no one cared. No one cared. And so you got this sense that uh, Callus was aware of, you know, what he was missing out. Mm-hmm. And then For in sure. this episode, um, you know, we, we hear the, the, the new fulcrum for, in the context of the episode. We see this moment where Callus aids uh, Sabine and the the uh, defecting rebels. And I thought, oh, this is the moment where she's going to find out. But he stops short of that and just helps them escape and says, okay, now we're even. So, Jim, what do you think? Do you think that uh, this was a one and done for this fulcrum? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I've been calling, and we're assuming that Callus is fulcrum. I have been calling Callus a character who lives in a bubble of conflict since really the very first episode of star Wars rebels. If you go back and listen to some of those early episodes, I'm talking like the first or second episode of star Wars rebels, the classified, I believe you'll hear me saying callous is going to eventually defect. And it's just something about the character I felt from day one. And I believed from day one and I believe it even more so now obviously, because he's done his really his his first blatant act of helping the rebellion, at least as far as we know. Now, it appears he's been working as a mole or a double agent or an informant, a tipster, whatever you want to call him, his fulcrum. Who knows how long he's been doing that? Maybe that started as a result of his experience with Gerizeb Aurelios when they were trapped in that, uh, that cave, that underground, uh, that underground cavern. I don't know. Hey, can I go back to one thing real quick though? When yeah, we were talking yeah, about yeah. Biggs, I, 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 I couldn't help. I, <laughs> Biggs! I couldn't help myself. I had to pull up the shooting script for star Wars, a new hope. And, uh, as, as it reads on the script, you must understand. I need you here, Luke, but that's a whole nother year. Look, it's only one more season. Yeah, that's what she said last year when Biggs and Tank left. Last year. It says right there in the shooting script. And right, I'm pretty sure all right, all that's right. how it plays stand, out in the film. I, I, st- I stand corrected. I no, stand this corrected. isn't all about me trying to be right. I'm just I'm trying to pinpoint why they said that, that, you know, it, it's, it, it, it can't work up. with Biggs. It doesn't line up with the chronology. And that's well, exactly why. Well, 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 no, here's, here's why. Here's why. And we're all forgetting. I'm forgetting. That when Wedge, or excuse me, when Biggs and Luke meet up in that deleted scene, he tells Luke that he's going to defect and join the Empire, so or and join the Rebellion. So that's why it doesn't line up because he doesn't defect until Uh technically sometime during the events of A New Hope. And I know short turnaround. (laughs) Like I'm going to quit within the day. Well, yeah, you know, well, he, yeah, he had made these it, connections. 
Well, he'd clearly been there for a year at that right, point. Right. But, um, you know, a, a lot of times we'll say, oh, well, you know, deleted scenes, deleted scenes don't count as part of the canon. But I think that it's inevitable that you have to count the Luke's big scenes at Tashi Station and Anchorhead. You have to count that in the legit official canon. You just have to. Yeah, I think so, too, because that scene has been so uh, storied and talked about and it's Jim in the novelization it's, it's in the comic right, adaptation. it's in the radio drama it's it's all over the place so yeah i i think that's it so if you've been screaming at your speakers saying it's in the movie and insane, um you can <laughs> relax we figured it out we figured it out uh and there is the line that uh, jim points out in the in the in the book all right tyler weigh in on this uh deal with 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 agent callus i i made the connection um, that he felt like uh, Inspector Javert to me, and what we know about the character of Javert in, in, in Les Miserables is that he is, you know, he's, he's all about justice, law, and order. And then when he finds out that, you know, a person, it's not, it's not a black and white world we live in, he can't live, he can't function in that world, and he, and, and he kills himself. Um, where, where does, where does uh, Agent Callus fit in as far as you're concerned, and, and have you known since you've been watching Rebels, that this was a guy that was in some sort of conflict. Well, I've always thought that Callus would eventually become a part of the Rebellion. I remember thinking that as far back as Season 1, and I think that's what's going to happen with his character. Although I've heard some interesting theories that I like. I was talking to um, my friend and uh, friend of the show, Mitch Dyer, about this week's episode, mm-hmm. and he brought up a theory that he thinks that Callus is the fulcrum on behalf of Thrawn, and so Callus is going to be leading along the rebels until Callus will at some point maybe defect to the rebels, and then the end of season three, it will be a big long con, and Callus will be, he was a devil agent the whole time on behalf of the Empire. Oh. And I, I agree, because I think that, I really like that, because it would be a really great way to show that, like, Thrawn is different than the other villains that the uh, ghost crew has faced because Thrawn is thinking of the long con. He knows that Callus has some like feelings um, of just being generally upset with the Empire and he might be taking advantage of that. So maybe Ooh. Thrawn is aware that Callus is the fulcrum or maybe Thrawn is behind it. But that's it. That's something I would like to see. What I think is going to happen is I think it's just going to be a straight Callus ends up joining the Rebellion. I don't think there's a doubt in my mind that the fulcrum is callous. That'd be like twist of all time if it's not well, him. And someone well, else. you know, not not to poke holes, you know, um, in in Mitch's theory. Not not to pull a Pablo here, uh, but I, I would say that um, I I like the one aspect of it where you could have a situation where Thrawn is using callous. But I don't think that we would have it where Callus would be complicit in that and be a double agent because, you know, Thrawn is brought into this whole uh, drama at the outset of season three. Season three takes place roughly six months after the end of season two. So let's assume that, I mean, Callus as Fulcrum, this new Fulcrum, as we've kind of pointed out, would have to have been somewhat established. There would, there would have to be some level of trust that is already developed before they would... It doesn't sound like, hey, this new guy just came out of nowhere. Let's go see what's going on with... you know. Let's go see if he's correct in this 
uh, deal with the uh, with the defection. This is a very right. sensitive and dangerous mission. So I don't doubt there that, that that Thrawn might not be watching this situation and taking advantage of it or be aware of it. But I just don't think that they're in cahoots. But that that's yeah, my like take. I, yeah, like I said, I don't think it's I don't it, it's possible, but I don't expect it to happen. I don't think it's a I don't think it's really designed to be much of a mystery. Yeah, I mean, with um, Ahsoka's the fulcrum, there was a ton of speculation about who would be. But if Ahsoka Tano appeared in that episode and was just like, hey, I think, I mean, people would have been able to put it together really quickly. So I think it would be nice if there's a twist, but I don't really see one happening. Other well, than maybe like how is dying before he's able to join. Well, so so what is so what is the answer, Jim? And I one of the things that confused me in this episode was the fact that uh, Callus and uh, and her name is escaping me. Help me out here. Uh, Price, Price, and Governor Price, Callus and Governor Price knew about this defection. They knew about it, and and I don't believe that the episode ever really told us or explained how they knew about it. Did they intercept the message from Fulcrum? Uh, how did they know that this was going going on? And was that Maybe. or or was it actually Callus? Callus that was doing this and this proves that he's at some sort of double agent. Right. And Callus and that was his excuse to be there was because he was, you know, inspecting possible defections to occur. And sometimes the best way to get a dirty job done is to do it right out in the open. Mm. So it's quite possible. Interesting. Okay. It's quite possible. And also maybe by bringing Price along with him, he takes Price away from a place where she can be more dangerous, perhaps in charge of an Imperial fleet or something that could possibly intercept the uh, the rebels as, as they try to uh, break these uh, pilots out of, uh, you know, and help them defect. So those are, are two, like, pretty good reasons why I think Callus could be responsible. Yeah. He's not only is he tipping off the rebels, but he's tipping off the Empire too. But he's doing so to to achieve a goal for the rebellion. For the rebellion, which is to get him to get him these 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 pilots. Mm-hmm. Um, and we learn, of course, at the beginning of the episode that they're they're running out of pilots because they're um, being attacked and uh, quite handily being handled by the uh, by the empire and so they need to replace these these pilots and so they get worried about this uh potential defection now uh, and this isn't all about poking holes but i, I you know we, we we are examining this sort of thing um I, i'm totally buying what you're selling jim about i, I love that, that that he you know one of the best ways to be sneaky is to kind of do it out in the open that's that's mm-hmm. that's very clever and certainly fits the callous character i think um Tyler, the one thing that that also threw me, the other thing that threw me, rather, was that there really was no way for for Sabine to know or identify those that want to defect. The only way she finds out is because she happens to hear a not-so-subtle and a not-so-quiet conversation (laughs) happening in the hallway. Uh, That's the the convenience of of Star Wars, I think, really. Okay, all right, so that was a... a I didn't miss something. I think that they were just relying on Sabine's intuition to figure out who the defectors were, however many mm-hmm. of them that they were. She was just lucky that the three of them were just idiots who decided to talk about it loudly in a hallway. 
Mm. The three of them do come off like bumbling idiots in this episode, including the much beloved Wedge Antilles. He comes off as a green noob, and it's surprising, you know, to see that the rebellion would want to go on such a high risk mission just to bust out Wedge and his two buddies. It just it, it it stretches my belief a little bit because I think yeah let's go and extract a dozen pilots. Well, here's but three of them, th- three of them who, who you know. In, All in, right, what? I, let, I'm gonna I'm gonna say at the risk of getting uh, a lot of email, I'm just gonna put it out there. <laughs> I'm gonna say I'm gonna say what 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 I think Jim is thinking, and what probably a lot of people are thinking. I think that they're you they used Wedge, who is a beloved character to put over Sabine. I think oh, I, they I uh, I disagree with that. No, this was all about positioning Sabine as some kind of superhero who has to come in and save the dumb guys. Yeah, as they often do with this character because she doesn't struggle much. A lot of Sabine's struggles it, it appears took place in the past Mm -hmm. we we really don't see her struggle ever with anything it all again comes easy to her now sure being trapped in a tie fighter eyeball floating in dead space is not exactly (laughs) you know everything's not always coming up roses for sabine but it certainly didn't take her long to find her way out of that jam but that's a really good point jim is is that you know with hera there's always a, a, with Hera. There's a sense of of uh, I don't want to say mourning, but there's a there's a very there's a seriousness about her. You see, somberness, yes, very somber, very full, yes. Uh, and of course, Kanan, we know about his backstory. Ezra, uh, Zeb, even we we got a great sense of 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 his backstory. Um, They've all had struggles that we've seen and that experienced we've seen, right. with them, and and that is still evident in their character. But 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 her, she sort of floats. Above all this. Yeah. Tyler, yeah. is this just a Mandalorian thing? Well, I, I remember we had a discussion like this last year. I forgot which episode it was, but we, uh, as I recall, all three of us disagreed very vehemently about the Sabine character. I mean, I didn't interpret this episode as using Wedge to try and get Sabine over. I think that this episode right now might be just one of the most like filler episodes they've done. Uh, Wedge has never really, I guess, mattered to maybe because I didn't read the Legends books that were about him. I think it was it was some X-Wing series that I didn't yeah. read. Yeah, yeah, Michael Stackpole's uh, X-Wing, and then Aaron Alston took over that series. But uh, yeah. yeah, definitely Wedge was up in the forefront there. But yeah, that was that was just... really only because uh, Wedge did have, uh, prior to that, sort of a cultish following. Yes. And I, I never understood that with wedge they call them the wedgies the wedgies but seriously jason is right i recall a very early issue of star wars insider magazine shortly after they changed it from the lucasfilm fan club magazine to star wars insider it was one of the very first issues with that star wars insider title and the front cover was a picture of wedge in the cockpit which back then was like shocking. I mean, it was a, beyond a rarity to see Wedge on the front cover of a magazine. <laughs> and then it said, I'll never forget the uh, headline, The Cult of Wedge. 
Mm. And right then and there, they firmly cemented that belief that there is a big fan following for Wedge Antilles. I've actually met people who consider Wedge to be their favorite character. Yeah, so I there's I yeah, a lot of love, a lot of Wedge love. I mean, I, I can understand using um, Wedge to maybe try and add some more character to Sabine in case they want to do a like wedge Sabine romance down the line. I know a lot of people want to see wedge and Ezra have some kind of romance. Yeah. I, I fall in that. Wedge I'm a shipper. Ezra. I'm a shipper with the, with, uh, I don't know. Oh, not wedge Either and way. Ezra, not wedge and Ezra. Wedge and Ezra hey, be, I'm no, not judging. Be, that would be, that I'm would not cool judging. I, I, but I was, I, <laughs> I, I was, I, I definitely ship. Uh, I definitely ship uh, Ezra and Sabine. I thought that it would actually help her character uh, and his character. Um, but what, what, what's, what, what really struck me, too, is if you watch Rebels Recon, uh, they talk about how this is a very elite uh, flight school. This is Top Gun, they say, of, yeah. of the Empire. And then they get to Sabine, and they're like, oh, well, I mean, she's like MIT. Like, she is beyond even these guys. She is the smartest uh, of the smart. She is, ever. yeah, I mean, it was like she's the smartest character to ever appear in Star Wars. I mean, and that's ever- the problem with Sabine, is she's never proved herself to us. She just comes at us as the complete package. We never see any evolution for her. We never see her grasp new tasks and new skills. We never see her grow or develop. She's coming at us completely, fully, 100% fleshed out. And to me, that's a very boring character. There's no conflict. I, well, there well, is. Well, for someone she so talks, young, for someone she so talks talks about her past. She talks well. about her past. Yeah. But outside of that talk, we don't see it. Yeah. Well, I think they're going to expand upon that a lot more. I mean, we saw in the trailers could be more Mandalorians, which I'm very excited about. And I, I assume that maybe some of the Sabine backstory is supposed to be interpreted based on what we already know about Mandalorians from the Clone Wars. I like the Sabine character a lot, but I really do want to see more expansion of the character. I feel her and Hera could really benefit from having the expansion. We're getting a Hera episode next week, which I'm excited about. But this week was just, hey, guys, Wedges and Rebels. It wasn't, hey, guys, Wedges and Rebels, and Sabine does this. Mm. I mean, the best Sabine moment was when Sabine, like, when she saved uh, Wedge and uh, the other dude, and they're just like, oh, we were on our way to rescue. And she's like, oh, that's cute. And by the way, we all knew that 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 poor third bastard was going to bite it. Because we know we never heard of him, you know. It wasn't I, like I, it, was, it wasn't like it was Porkins hanging out yeah, with him. No, he might as well have been wearing a red. I shirt. can't wait for the Porkins episode later <laughs> this season. I'm sure, that's gonna add a lot. I would have loved to have seen Porkins, but yeah, Biggs sure. and Hobby. Uh, I'm I'm actually very surprised. I think Porkins would have been a Porkins, but but although what Hobby does is he brings in that that rogue connection. You know, we yes. know that 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 Hobby gets ends up as part of uh, the Rogue Squadron. Mm-hmm. And we see mm-hmm. we see the genesis there. So you know I, we're hearing we're hearing rumors of a lot of aligning happening, uh, of course ac- across season three and then perhaps even into uh, season four between Rebels and Rogue One, which we all kind of knew was, was probably going to happen. When mm-hmm. we've asked the creatives, uh, they 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 have downplayed it in the past. Said, well, you know uh, you know we're going to let Rebel or Rogue One stand on its own and do its own thing. But after the fact. After we know, we, you know, we're going to get a, a back half of this season. It's going to be very interesting to see mm-hmm. how the back half of the season shapes up after the world has seen Rogue One. And then we'll get season four and afterwards 
That'll probably be it for Star Wars Rebels. They'll move on to a new animated series, most likely placed in the time period between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. And then by that point, when that series debuts, you're going to be seeing a lot of stuff from Rogue One for sure. And, And maybe some callbacks to Rebels here and there too. Maybe a character will actually survive. And it'll probably be Sabine. Of course. She'll yay, survive. more Mandalorians. She's Teflon. No, yeah, here's right. the thing. You keep saying, yay, more Mandalorians. But I, I have an issue with that, and it's quite simply, it goes back to the Empire Strikes Back novelization when Boba Fett was identified as wearing the armor of a group of warriors that were defeated by the Jedi during the Clone Wars. And that's something I always thought we would see in the Clone Wars TV show. We would finally see the Jedi take on the Mandos or the Death Watch or whatever you want to call them, but just to to take care of those Mandalorians once and for all so that by the time you get to the Empire Strikes Back, Boba Fett is wearing something that's an ancient relic from another day, and he stands out as unique and an individual and not not somebody somebody who could be confused with being part of a Mandalorian group or whatever. By the time of the original trilogy era, Boba Fett, in my my belief, and it's always been this way, he is the only one still wearing that Mandalorian armor. And so to see the Mandalorians get stretched now and stretched pretty thin, I believe, because I think they did their job telling the story of the Mandalorians in the Clone Wars, despite the fact we never really got to see that big showdown between the Jedi and the Mandos. But now we're stretching it so thin. Now we're coming up to two years prior to the events of the original trilogy. And these Mandalorians are still kicking around. To me, it feels a little bit like fan service. They, you know, the makers Mandalorians are very, very popular, very popular. Boba Fett was very popular, you know? And, and to me, that's the only embodiment of what's left of the Mandalorians that we need by the time of the original trilogy. I don't want to see a hundred Boba Fetts anymore. I just don't. I want to see them take it back and make that character the mysterious, yes, but unique individual that he was when he first appeared on screens in 1980. I think there's a lot of potential with the Mandalorians in general. And I've, I've said on previous episode of Rebels Declassified why I'm such a big fan because of a lot of the old games hearing about the Mandalorian Neo Crusaders and all their stories to go with that. But I think it would be really interesting if in this animated series that happens potentially between return of the Jedi and the force awakens, if maybe Luke comes into conflict with like maybe the Mandalorians go more toward the death watch angle and Luke, the Jedi that he's training have to go up against the Mandalorians and they try and make the uh, warrior culture, of the Mandalorians more prevalent than it was in the clone wars instead of a little sect. I, I can understand why you might get birth. I also think to just do with the fact that I'm a different generation of Star Wars fan. And like you said, you read it in the Empire Strikes Back. Um, I had no idea that Boba Fett, when he was introduced in the novelization, was wearing armor of people who were beaten by the Jedi during wars. I mean, I've always had in my mind that Mandalorians are just 100% badasses across the board and i can understand why that might be uninteresting to some people though well it was they went from you know boba fett being a popular character instead of just um you know writing stories to to 
explain why Boba Fett is, or you know, to put him over. Uh, they expanded it, and now you have an entire you know you have lots of Boba Fetts. Yeah. So Boba Fett becomes that's, that's less. Really all it is. Yeah, Boba it's, Fett becomes less special um, because there are so many of them. Now. Yeah, Boba Fett's another character who, again, I, I never really got the cult thing with. I mean, I had, I wrote with um, Adam Bray for StarWars.com a which Fett is best um, debate. And I said mm-hmm. Jango Fett was better, and he said Boba Fett was better. And Boba Fett has always sort of just been a, like, goofy character to me. Because I remember my first time seeing Boba Fett was not in Empire Strikes Back. It was in the holiday, because I saw A New Hope, and then the holiday special. And mm-hmm. Boba Fett's always just sort of had a like weird connotation in my head, and I remember hearing and seeing the Mandalorians before I even saw Boba Fett. So Boba Fett's never been the Mandalorian in my head. I mean, that's what he is at the core. Well, you know, and that's Boba what the Fett are, just yeah. repeating Boba. Fett. And that's the exact problem with creating a thousand Boba Fetts is you you basically dilute the individuality, the uniqueness, and the mis- the mystery surrounding what was once the most popular star wars character i can i think you can say that that boba fett definitely ranked up there with all fans do you think the same uh do you think the same thing could be said about the jedi in the prequels by the fact that you had thousands of jedi like an attack of the clones when they were all storming on geonosis i mean i i think no i some would, people well, argue that takes away from I, the mystique I, of the jedi instead i would of having say just no one i you would i would say no from this standpoint uh is that the whole history that we learned from Obi Wan Kenobi uh, referred to the Jedi as being, you know, somewhat legion? You know, the Jedi—they were the guardians of peace and justice yes. in the old Republic. You didn't hear that about Boba Fett. Boba Fett, no. uh, you know, as as Jim was pointing out, is unique and was always identified as somebody who stood out because of his, you know, hearkening back to, you know, this ancient or, you know, much older civilization or what have you. Uh, I agree. I think the man, I, I think the Mandalorians are, are, are uh, overexposed, I would put it that way. But I, having said that, the, the, the Mandalorian stuff that we saw in Clone Wars was some of the best episodes. Yes. And um, I'll, I'll never forget one of the greatest moments, I think, in, in, in animation on television was that scene when Obi-Wan opens in the Clone Wars, when Obi-Wan opens those, those, uh, those doors on that hangar, and you see this incredible battle with these Mandalorians mm-hmm. yeah. and their jetpacks. I mean, it's a stunning, that's still so vivid to me. So I, I, I certainly appreciate the execution that goes into this, but um, I'm kind of uh, old school in that way. Uh, I, by mm-hmm. the way, I have a theory about Boba Fett, and I, and I know that, that uh, you know, Jeremy Bullock has famously said, you know, it's all about the the costume, and 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 I and I totally agree. But um, what predates, of course, Empire Strikes Back and seeing the costume in in flesh, obviously the holiday special, which I don't think was viewed by that many people. What I think really put that character over was the action figure. It mm-hmm. was the action figure. If you look at where that action figure fell in the in the in the Kenner lineup, it it was all it was completely. Uh, a different it was it was one of the more realistic or 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 better styled better sculpts better colors it mm-hmm. really was um i mean jim you were collecting back then that sure. was a very exciting action figure absolutely well he was the first action figure that you could purchase 
from Empire Strikes Back. And the way you would purchase him was by saving the proof of purchases and you would send it in and wait and wait and wait. Every kid I knew in 1979 was checking his mailbox every day when he got home from school. It was like Ralphie and the decoder ring. It was it was exactly like that. And that's the sort of cultural impact that action figure had on us as kids, as fans. And then he was really bringing in a new era of Star Wars, the first character from the sequel that we can actually get to know in action figure form. It, it was fantastic. Um, it's just, you know, if, if I could say anything else about Boba Fett, because I, I do want to get back. There's, there's a, a little bit more about this episode we really should talk about, but I think it's fair. We talk about the development of Sabine, her relationship to the Mandalorians, and where it all began. So I, I think it all makes sense that we're talking about it right now, in which we're talking about it. The, the episodes in the Clone Wars that you're referencing, Jason, I believe those were stories that needed to be told. To further the history of the Mandalorians in this episode, in this era of Star Wars Rebels, a mere two years before the events of the original trilogy, I think you're taking the Mandalorians and you're stretching them way too thin. If you want to tell more Mandalorian stories, go back in time and come up with a new animated series called, you know... My mama's a Mando. I don't know, but it can show the, like, you know, try like the Mandos or the Death Watch in their prime. Let's see the civil war that tore apart the planet Mandalore and demanded the need for pacifists to take over. I mean, let's see that. That, to me, that seems much more compelling than trying to stretch it so thin and have this punk ass girl, you know, running around space, spray painting stuff and being a smart ass to every person she meets. It just doesn't sync up with me. But this is a new era of Star Wars, so I accept it, and I roll with it, and, and it's, it's part of the mythology now. But I think a lot of the, the, the current Mando stuff going on in Star Wars Rebels is fan service, nothing more. That's it. All right. Okay. Yeah, that's it. Well, we should way, talk what, about this. Everyone's yelling, yeah, they're on a tangent again. Get back to talking. <laughs> you know what? We talk about Star Wars here, okay? And if one thing leads to another, you're just going to have to ride along with us because <laughs> so guess what? Bad. That's how conversations work. <laughs> along with that eight-hour mall special that we're planning that we mentioned last week. Yes, yeah, right. Doing a 16 hour, hour yeah, it's going to be a marathon podcast. Once again, uh, featuring me talking and Jason sleeping. Yeah, right. You know, actually, we are going to tattoo your face during the show. You're oh, going to get the full imagine? mall tattoo can you during imagine? the show. If you're really a fan, Tyler, you got to get the tattoo. <laughs> the face tattoo. <laughs> uh, all right, what do you guys think? Uh, you know, at the end of the episode, we've got – these are the balls we have up in the air. We have a, we have a callus that has uh, uh, clearly, openly aided and abetted the escape. He's, he's kind of chalked it up to just owing a debt to, to Zeb. We've got uh, – we've got uh, – uh, Wedge and Hobby, they're now. I mean, are these characters we're going to be seeing again? What do you think, Tyler? Are we going to? Is Wedge going to be a, uh, a a recurring character? Is he going to be a regular character? Where do you where do you put him? I think he might be along the lines of Rex, but not as featured mm. as Rex. I mean, they more like Sato. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, they brought Nathan Cress aboard. Nathan Cress not like a big star by any means. I don't think they'd bring him on just like a one and done type of thing. I don't think we're going to see hobby like anymore 
Hobby's falling into the class with the... Uh, I'm forgetting their names. That's how irrelevant they were to Star Wars Rebels. The other two clone troopers who were along with Rex, I don't even know if we've seen them since they were introduced well, in Rebels. One of them was Gregor, who had a very important role in an episode of Clone Wars. Right, yeah, Gregor they, and they, they uh, really Oddball, or what? what no. Not Oddball, what was his name? Was it Oddball? Who was the one that was, uh, uh, was mentally challenged? Numbnuts? I don't know. <laughs> what was his name? Numbnuts. <laughs> I, have, I have no idea who it was, but no, I, I think the hobby is going to fall in that class. I, I'm not, I, I hate to break it to everybody who's a big hobby fan. I, I don't care. I, I'm not too invested in the hobby character. Wedge, I assume they're going to do something with to try and show how he went from this sort of naive yeah, was dumb wolf. kid was who wolf. talks about <laughs> this naive dumb kid who talks about his secret plans to defect from the Empire in the hallway. I hope that they'll do something to make his character closer to what we saw in A New Hope, but I don't anticipate that he's well, going to be joining the crew. I mean, it's no wonder if Callus if if Callus yeah. is Fulcrum, it's no wonder that he knows that uh, Wedge wants to defect because apparently. He and Hobby and this other guy are always having these hallway conversations. Yeah, Alice just hangs out in hallways. That's what he does. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more development, you know, more. I'd have liked to have seen uh, Wedge come across as a little bit more strategic, a little brighter, a little, um, you know, more worth, you know, sort of the hype and the buildup of him being. I mean, let's face it. Sure, it's a small character in the in the scope of Star Wars, but he's the only rebel outside of uh, of Luke that that lives through all three major battles. That's how he got the cult following. Sure, everyone was like, "Well, what's so special about this guy?" I remember there was a. I mean, in the past, people would be like, "Oh, well, he must have force abilities." You know, I mean, things were things of that nature because it, you know it's quite the feat, though. Hold to, on, uh, I'm on Twitter right now. Pablo says no. No, no force oh. abilities for Wedge. Uh, but Han Solo, <laughs> the jury is still out. Right. <laughs> but um but no, I uh I, I get I get the wedge thing. I really do. Uh it was a big deal when his first figure came out. It was part of oh. a collector's case, actually. It I was remember. the Millennium Falcon collector's case, yeah. Yeah. And so I mean people were pretty excited about that, you know. Hey, Wedge, finally. And uh, that was before you had action figures of every X-Wing pilot you could possibly think of. Right. But, uh, you know, I mean, that's just, you know, it's just. Now, is there a hobby action figure? Uh, yes. Um, I, I believe. Uh, hobby... Got to buy that. I, yeah, there must be. <laughs> there must be. I'm sure I have it. Um, but, you know, it, it's interesting to know, you know, hearing Tyler talk about, you know, how his first exposure to a Mandalorian wasn't even Boba Fett himself. And, and, and you know, looking back at, you know, Wedge and, and how he, he had that cult status back in the day. And you almost forget about that now because it seems like you know so much about these characters. So many stories have been told about so many of them. They've been fleshed out so well that you don't think you don't raise an eyebrow when someone says Wedge Antilles is my favorite character. You just don't because he's become such a part of the fabric of Star Wars as opposed to just a bit player in the films, which is basically what he was. So, and, you know, it's just funny to look at how these characters have evolved over time and, and to think of like how I reacted seeing that old Star Wars Insider magazine from the mid nineties, early to mid nineties, that said the cult of wedge going, wow, this is amazing. You know, wedge is actually getting some attention. And then, you know, fast forward now to the year 2016 and he's getting a, an episode of rebels named the Antilles extraction. You know, it's a big deal. So wedge has certainly come a long way. 
and um, fan perspective changes on these characters over years from everyone from Wedge to Boba Fett. It's true. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there there have been uh, two hobby figures. There was one that was released as part of a comic two pack. He was packed in with Baron Fell for the uh, X-Wing Rogue Squadron uh, comic book uh, issue okay. number 24. Well, he, was, he was in his, um, his, his dress uniform. No, there. he's in a flight he was, suit. No, he's, oh, in, he's a flight in a flight suit. suit. Okay, he's in a flight okay. suit. Um, and actually, that may be, you know what, come to think of it, I think that's the only, that's the only hobby uh, Clivian figure that uh, they have put out. Wow. In that, in that two-pack, part of the 30th anniversary collection. So, uh, so much more to talk about. We will see what happens with Hobby and Wedge as Star Wars Rebels continues. Sometimes it's these episodes where you feel like not a lot really happened that always lend themselves to a lot of really great discussion. Yeah. Because you have time and, and, and room to talk about some of the, the the bigger picture that you're seeing. Those, those episodes where you want to talk about every battle and every cool vehicle or whatever, uh, you know, don't lend themselves to some of these other discussions. So this was a lot of fun. Uh, thank you guys very much. Um, There were some really cool references to some of the Kenner toys. If you go to StarWars.com, you can see uh, some of that, uh, particularly the way those wings came off of the solar panels. Thank you. That came off the X-Wings right out of of the classic Kenner. Uh, And if memory serves, wasn't it one of the first teasers we got about Star Wars Rebels was Dave Filoni talking about drawing TIE Fighters Based yeah. on the old Kenner, he, he old shot a, 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 a short Vine video of himself uh, opening up a vintage Tie Fighter right. that he had purchased for ten dollars. I remember him holding up, <laughs> going ten dollars, and we were speculating at that time. We're like ten dollars. I hope that's not the budget for the show. <laughs> I remember that's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, anyway, the solar panels, that's absolutely true. As a matter of fact, I caught that when I I saw the episode on Saturday morning. And uh, right away, I did tweet to Gary Witta saying, was that a nod to the old vintage Kenner TIE fighter? And he's like, I'm glad you caught that. And that's exactly what it was. Price hits the button. The solar panels pop right off. And that's how we used to simulate battle damage back in the 70s. Good stuff. Very cool, very cool. All right, well, very uh, thanks, Tyler, for uh, jumping on and uh, bringing your trademark style here to the conversation. My, my trademark style? Yeah, I'll let other people define what it is. I won't, but uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, any uh, any parting words here about uh, this episode, the final analysis? Uh, did you like it? Did you not like it? We've got Wedge. Um, I- I like the episode. I, I've liked every episode of season three so far. I, I think season three was when the Clone Wars really hit its stride, and I think it's going to be that way for Rebels. Um, I I just sort of felt that it was filler. I'm sure that once the season is all said and done with, I'll feel differently. Hopefully, once they do more with the uh, with the Wedge character. But yeah, I enjoyed the episode overall. 
if you uh, if you want to talk to me about the episode, you can follow me on Twitter at T Westhouse, and you can hear me complain more with my signature style, as Jason <laughs> put it. And you can also check me out at StarWars.com. I have some features up. Maybe I'll write about how much I uh, I, I met about which. <laughs> so what we've established uh, a couple of things. We've established that Jimmy thinks that uh, Mandalorians are overexposed, and Tyler really doesn't care for Wedge. That's what we learned. Uh, Do you like this? I was just wondering if he likes the salad. Oh, God. Wedge. Jimmy Mac. That's my last oh, God, of the episode right there. Thank you. It was a a very well-placed one, too, sir. Congratulations. (laughs) Jimmy Mac, uh, Antilles Extraction, final thoughts. All right, Jason. Final thoughts. Uh, Why did I love this episode? Because I love TIE Fighters. TIE Fighters, TIE Fighters. We get them all in this one. We get TIE Fighters. We get TIE Interceptors. We get TIE Bombers. All the TIEs you can imagine. We even get, for the first time ever in Star Wars, we get TIE on TIE action. Yes, we have TIE Fighter versus TIE Fighter. We've never seen that before in Star Wars. So I didn't want that to go without uh, some sort of acknowledgement. Also, the fact that... uh, the TIE Bomber, I mean, the, the, the cockpits in these TIE Fighters are just getting more and more spacious with each episode. The, the TIE Bomber cockpit was practically a studio apartment. They had three people in there, and they were, like, stretching out, doing yoga. They, they having a time of their lives in there. So much more spacious in the TIE Fighters. But I was really thinking to myself, is there anything to say that TIE Fighter cockpits can't hold that many people? No. We just see people sitting in there, and that's we always assumed there was only enough room for one person to fit in there because our old Kenner TIE Fighters would only hold one action figure. So uh, it's nice to see a little expansion of that. Um, uh, the, the, oh, you know, that um, that Imperial complex uh, reminded me a lot of a giant-sized Sun Crusher from the old Jedi Academy books. At least I think a lot of people online were speculating that at the, uh, at the uh, season preview trailer. Uh, some people saw that and said, wow, that's the Sun Crusher, but it's obviously a much larger build. It's a facility of some sort. I, I hesitate to call it a building. Um, Sabine, Sabine all over the place in this episode. Um, I liked her with the dark hair, and I liked her stripped of all those gadgets because I, I, I feel like I can maybe get to know the character a little bit without her hiding behind the spray paint and the purple hair and the, the you know, um, silly Mando uh gear that she wears and i do say silly it's it's a silly for those mandos to to have desecrate the the time honored uh armor of the mandalorians so uh you know and something else about sabine too uh i did she impressed me very much when she uh blew on her credential card like it was an old atari 2600 video game cartridge <laughs> and she got it to work oh <laughs> Another uh, another uh, typically uh, silly Jimmy Mac observation I made in this episode was uh, the shot of the Thai pilot going to bed with his helmet on. I, I was very puzzled by that. Why even have that in there? I understand the asses <laughs> and everything, but they showed a Thai pilot going to bed in the bunk across from Sabine's with his helmet on. So that leads me to speculate that maybe the Empire... Includes a little CPAP machine in there in case the TIE pirates <laughs> suffer from a lot of snoring. That's, uh, that's how she was going to find the, the the defectors. Which TIE pilots don't wear their helmets to bed? Yeah, <laughs> right. That's the signal. <laughs> and, um, uh, oh, and one other thing about Sabine. You can tell she was an Imperial cadet because 
She shoots like a stormtrooper. When they were escaping from that facility, she had one of them right in the hallway there, point blank range, and missed by a mile. So you can tell she was definitely trained by the Imperials. <laughs> uh, what else? I, I just love to see the dog fights in this episode. Um, I'd like to see actually a, a more expanded uh, battle in this without all the cut-ins to characters to provide exposition or whatever. I would just like to see some good old dog fighting in this show. And we got a little taste of it in this episode. Also, that that, that character Scaris, who was... Um, it was like a Thai pilot commander, the dude with the mustache. Um, nice name, by the way. Scare us. Scare us. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Star Wars has never been too subtle. No, no, yeah. <laughs> File that space. away with uh, the Jedi. I'm a gonna die. And uh, <laughs> from Clone Wars. And uh, uh, maybe a Elin uh, Sleazebagano. Sleazebagano, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, nothing subtle. But but Scaris does, uh, he does quote Palpatine. He does quote the Emperor when he goes, young fools. The Emperor, of course, said that to Luke, young fool, in uh, Return of the Jedi. So you, you also hear Wedge quote Poe from The Force Awakens when Wedge says, I can fly anything. Oh, there you go. I can fly anything. So. Perfect, perfect. Uh, all in all, a, a great episode. I, you know, sure, you can call it filler or whatever, but this episode had a lot of uh, action to it. It uh, gave us further development of Kalis's character and, or Kalis's character, I'm sorry. Kanan, Kalis, Kalis, Kanan, you, you see where I'm going here. But, you, you know, I hesitate to call this episode uh, filler because you do get to see development of that character and you do get to see Kalis drift closer and closer to the rebellion. Plus, we got introduced to a new fulcrum. Uh, Wedge is back. And um, and uh, like I said, I just loved all the TIE fighter action in this episode. The Antilles extraction. Puff a pig, not in this episode. I hate to correct you, but we, we have seen TIE on TIE action before. Oh, really? Yeah, Force Awakens during the escape with uh, Poe and Finn. Were they pursued? Were they by pursued th- by Tie Fighters? Did you see that? Did you see that? Right? Yeah, but he shot at the missile. He wasn't shooting at another Tie. I'm no, they sure. they fought other Ties. Did, did they? Did they get into it with other Ties? I, I don't mm-hmm. remember. Huh. Well, okay. Must have really had a big impact on you. Puffer Pig. Not in The Force Awakens. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. All right, guys. We'll see you next time here. Rebel Force Radio. Rebels Declassified. For Star Wars. What What am I saying? For Rebel Force Radio. <laughs> we don't speak for Star Wars. For Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jason. And I'm Jimmy Man. And remember. The Force will be with you always. Always.